0: Good morning, church. So glad you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, open them to Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18 is our text today. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. We're now in part 2 of our series, The Providence and Sovereignty of the Unseen King. In last week's text, chapter 1, the focus was on the rejection of Vashti. So a quick review here. Her husband, King Xerxes, uh, gave two banquets, one for his provincial officials and another for all of his palace officials. And it was during this banquet, the second banquet, uh, that he got wasted, got drunk, and made a stupid decision because that's what uh, people do when they're drunk. He overstepped himself and asked her to display her beauty before the drunken officials. Well, Queen Vashti said, nope, not going to do it, not going to happen. What this did, this... uh, pretty much infuriated the king, and, and, and so following the advice of his close advisors, he had Vashti thrown out of the royal palace for good. And it's there that Queen Vashti flies off the pages of Scripture. She is no longer mentioned after chapter 1. Now, I need to say this. God didn't, get it now, God didn't make Xerxes drunk or made him demand that his queen present herself in an immodest way before the palace officials. What God did, now follow me here, what God did was allow, say allow, allow this wicked action of the king to fulfill a purpose in his greater plan. And that's what we see in today's text. Now, remember what I said last week. Uh, Through divine providence, God accomplishes his will to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled. Remember, he ordained everything that will happen yet. In no sense is he the author of sin, nor is human responsibility removed. Hopefully you got that. Now, it's nearly four years between chapters 1 and 2. And between chapters 1 and 2, a very important thing takes place in history. It's not mentioned in the Bible, but it is in history. So I want you to follow me here. During that time, the invasion of Greece by King Xerxes and his army takes place. And his his campaign to invade and overtake Greece failed. And he was so frustrated with his inability to conquer Greece that he comes back home in humiliation instead of honor. So now that he's home, he's most likely reflecting on his failed campaign and the fact that he has no queen. Uh, there, there, there hasn't been a queen for four years since Vashti. He's down, he's depressed, uh, perhaps even bitter, and so since everything is going so terribly, terribly wrong for him, he needs something to distract him. And his distraction, get this now, will be selecting a new queen. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is The Selection of Esther. Say that, The Selection of Esther. In today's text, we see a young woman go from an orphan to a queen. I want to share seven points with you from the text. If you're ready, say yes, Point number one is the search. Write that down. Say that. Point number one is the search. The search. Then I want you to look at verses 1 through 4 with me. And the text says this. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Verse 2. Then the king's personal attendants proposed. And I want to stop there. They saw that the king was down, that he was depressed and low spirits, that perhaps he was missing his wife, and he probably regretted the decision to remove her. And he knew that by his own edict, he couldn't get Vashti back. And even though he had a harem, uh, it wasn't the same without his wife, the queen. So his advisors make a proposal to go on a search for a new queen for the king. So let's read. Let's read on, let let a search, there it is, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king, verse 3, let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa, let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them, verse 4. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he, the king, followed it. So they pretty much proposed an empire-wide Miss Persian, or Miss Persia, excuse me, a beauty contest. And the plan was to assemble a harem from the most beautiful women of the land, to bring them into the harem for the king, and to choose the most favored woman to be his queen from that group. Now, a harem were wives or concubines of a polygamous man, and it meant uh, you could never marry and that you might only see the king on your one night. And and you were listen now, you're a, a widow basically for life and you're the king's property. Now, there were roughly 50 million people in the Persian Empire. So we could safely say there were 25 million virgins to pick from. So, number one is the search. Number two is the sending. Write that down, the sending. The sending. And and here, we're introduced to the two main characters of this book, uh, two Jewish people who are cousins who live in the city of of Susa or Shushan, same place, they live there as well. So, look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. Verse 6, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, same guy, king of Judah. So so Mordecai's great-grandfather Kish and his family were taken captive in that group, which means Mordecai was born in Persia. Look at verse 7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. So so Mordecai was about 15 years older than Hadassah, and she was most likely in her early 20s. So Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, Esther, was lovely in form and features. In other words, she had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So at this point in the story, this information is given as sort of a a passing thought. It's like, you know, oh, by the way, when his uncle died, he raised his uncle's daughter as his own. And by the way, she was lovely and she was beautiful. And you know, the, the thought came to my mind, into my mind that when Esther lost her mom and dad at a young age, she probably thought that her life was over, that it was done. But in reality, it had just begun. Amen. And I love the fact also, friends, how God in his providence, providence brought a relative into her life to love and care for her. I love that. Now, I want to point out that the name Mordecai is not a Hebrew name. And even though a lot of Jewish people are named Mordecai, Mordecai. So I want you to follow me here. It's a Persian name related to the false god Marduk, Marduk. Mardukai. Uh, that's Mordecai. Uh, the name Esther is related to the Babylonian goddess of love, Ishtar, also represented by the star or, or, or Venus or Venus. And you see what happens here is the Jews in exile, were given Persian names, like Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But I also want to point this out, okay, that that though these individuals had pagan names, they didn't live pagan lifestyles, nor did they worship pagan gods. Now look at verse 8 with me. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa, and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. Now, Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, says the, the king had a total of 400 virgins selected. Now, now there are two different interpretations here, and I want you to follow me here, okay? The first interpretation is that Mordecai advised Esther to enter the beauty contest because he wanted to have a Jew in, in a place of influence in the empire in case there was trouble. The second interpretation is that Esther had no choice. Listen, the, the, these women were not volunteers, They were selected and assembled by the king's special officers. The women could, listen, they could not oppose this. They had no choice but to obey the orders of the special officers. I think that's the right interpretation. The second one is the right interpretation. That being said, as a Jew, Esther was forbidden by the law of Moses to marry a Gentile. And not to mention, listen now, not to mention if she loses the contest, she Esther will end up in the harem for the rest of her life as a sex slave for the pleasure of the king so so this was out of her control, right it was out of her control yet someone say yet this is where we see the providence of God come in God say God, God is still in control say that God is still in control, and he so directed the people in this situation that that decisions were made that accomplish his purpose. So he's going to move behind the scenes. The search, the sending, and number three is the special favor. Say that, the special favor. Write that down, the special favor. And let's look at verse 9. If you're still with me, say amen. Look at verse 9. The girl pleased him, speaking of Haggai, And won, or the word could also be obtained, his favor. Now, I want to stop there. Just as Joseph found favor in Egypt, and just as Daniel found favor in Babylon, Esther found favor in Susa. I love that. So let's look again at the phrase, won or obtained his favor. The girl pleased him and won Or obtain his favor. Now, the literal translation of the original language is filled with meaning. The the, the literal translation says, She lifted up grace before his face. I love that. Write that down. She lifted up grace before his face. That's the literal translation. And that's an awesome expression. In other words, her countenance, listen now, got to get this, her countenance was grace magnified. Her countenance was grace magnified. And you see, Esther didn't display it's an all about me attitude. Instead, and I love this, she chose to model grace before Haggai. So question, question. Are you one who models grace before others? Are you? Are you one who models grace before others? Or is it a self-centered, all about you attitude? Now, listen, friends, you may be that, but you ain't all that. Got it? You ain't all that, and I ain't all that. And you see, Esther modeled grace, and God blessed her for it. And Haggai starts to give her some special attention. Now, obviously, God's working here, and the fact that she pleased Haggai points to God's providential control. Someone say amen. Let's read on. Immediately he provided her. Uh, her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. So she was collected in the group that would go to the palace and live in the harem with the concubines and participate in the contest for the queen. Now remember, there were 400 virgins that were taken to the palace. So the number went from whatever the mount was, which I imagine was a really, really, really high number, to now 400 of the most beautiful women. And only one stands out and will eventually win the king's heart. Point number four, point number four is the secret. Write that down the secret, the search, the sending the special favor and the secret, the secret. And let's look at verse 10, verse 10. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai, see Mordecai, Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Now now I want you to get this. Mordecai didn't tell Esther to lie nor did he tell her to deny her nationality. He only told her not to proclaim her nationality. Matthew Henry said this, All truths are not to be spoken at all times, though an untruth is not to be spoken of at any time. Now, I want you to follow me here. There, there are um, situations where God uh, may not have us reveal our Christian identity, and not for the purpose of, of permanently concealing it, but waiting for the right moment right moment, to reveal it. Now, in the past, a Jehovah's Witness has, it's been a while since a Jehovah's Witness has spoken to me or tried to try to share with me their doctrine. But in the past, when they have, I, I don't reveal that I'm a Christian right away. I let them say what they want to say, and then as I begin to talk to them, then I reveal that I'm a Christian at the right time. So Mordecai forbid Esther to share her nationality and background. Okay, this is what Mordecai sensed was the right thing to do in this circumstance, and Esther agreed. We also need to uh, remember and understand that there was much anti-Semitism in the Persian Empire, and we'll see that in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 4, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Number 5, number 5 is the steady, watchful eye. I love that. The steady, watchful eye. Write that down again, the steady, watchful eye. The search, the sending, the special favor, the secret, and the steady, watchful eye. And this look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Every day, love it, he, okay, Mordecai, walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Listen, Mordecai was an awesome, awesome adoptive father. Awesome adopted father to Esther. He loved her and took care of her as if it, as if she was his own. Now his interest in Esther's life, and I love this friend, shows his love and concern for her in a, a potentially, excuse me, potentially dangerous place. He's like a dad who's who's worried about his daughter, looking for her, making sure she's okay. And and he Mordecai truly became a father to the fatherless. There's a lesson here. What's the lesson? Here's a lesson. God has, listen now, a steady, watchful eye on you. If you're saved, you ought to say amen. God has a steady, watchful eye on you. Write this down, Psalm 121, chapter 121, verse 8. Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. I gotta tell you, this really encourages me to know that wherever I am, whatever I'm going through in life, that God has a steady, watchful eye on me. He's looking out for me. Man, that should encourage you, right? I mean, that's, that's so awesome that he has a steady, watchful eye on me and on you. Point number six is the summons. The summons, write that down, the summons. The summons, and let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete, get this now, she had to complete 12 months, 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the woman, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Now friends, Persia was one of the many countries famous for its perfumes and and ancient customs for the preparations of brides, including uh, ritualistic baths, plucking of the eyebrows, uh, the painting of hands and feet with henna, a uh, facial makeup, and applications of a, a beautifying paste all over the body meant to lighten the skin color, the color of the skin, and to remove spots and blemishes. Now, now before this, th- these women could come before the king, they had to complete a year, 12 months a year, of beautification, A year of constant, this is now, spa treatments. And they were to look as beautiful as possible. They were to smell as nice as possible. And they were to use cosmetics that would enhance their skin and their hair. Now, they were to be given special instruction on court etiquette. How you act in the imperial court. And what all the expectations were for someone who was around royalty. And this was to go on for a year, 12 months, a year. And at the end of the year, each of these 400 beautiful virgins would have one opportunity, listen now, friends, to make an impression on the king to be selected as his new queen. Now, ladies, I want you to think about that for a moment. 12 months, 12 months, one whole year of beauty treatments. For a whole year, listen now, you don't need to work, no cooking, no cleaning, no laundry, no budget, nothing, nothing to worry about ex- except looking beautiful. Unlimited beauty supplies, beauty consultants at your disposal, pampered for one whole year. I mean, I could, I could already hear the ladies saying, amen, pastor, amen, right? Hey, guys, listen up, guys. The next time your wife tells you she needs to go to the beauty salon or nail salon for a couple of hours, don't complain. Don't complain. And ladies, if your husband complains, tell him it could be 12 months. It could be 12 months. Amen? Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her, to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Verse 14, in the evening she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to care for uh, the, in, uh, to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned, there it is, summoned her by name. So that brings us now to point number seven, which is the selection. The selection. Write that down, the selection. And I want you to look at verse 15a with me, the first part of verse 15, the selection. And it reads like this. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle, Abihel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing. Listen now. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Now, I bet some of you ladies are probably saying, Esther, are you crazy, man? This is a shopping spree of a lifetime, yeah? Right? Now, listen, Esther could have had anything she wanted, but she requested nothing extra. And I'm sure the other women seemed to go for the other stuff like necklaces, bracelets, and anklets, rings, earrings, and nose rings. And you see, the point is this. I believe Esther was more concerned about her inner beauty than her outer beauty. Now, unfortunately, in today's culture, it's all about the outer beauty, right? About the looks and the body and the clothes. In fact, there's, there's little or no concern whatsoever about the inner beauty. Now, I want you to look at this picture frame. It's a beautiful picture frame. and But let's be honest, how many times, how many times... Have we become like this picture frame, you know, beautiful frame on the outside with nothing on the inside, no, no canvas? And see, my point is this: we tend to spend more of our time and and more of our energy on the picture frame and forget about spending time and energy painting on the canvas of our inner person for God. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn, if you can, if you want, to to First Peter. Okay, New Testament, First Peter, chapter three, verses three and four. First Peter, chapter three, verses three and four. First Peter, chapter three, verses three and four. And let's look at verse three. First, verse three. It says, Peter writes, "Your beauty should not merely, keyword, come from outward adornment, adornment such as braided hair or elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry." Or fine clothes. And I want to stop there, okay? Here, the use of the word merely brings out Peter's true intention. And what he's saying is is not to prohibit all outward adornment in a man or a woman, but that a person who is transformed by the grace of God should be concerned primarily not, not with his or her outward appearance, but with the inner beauty of the heart. That's what Peter's saying. So so if Peter's not prohibiting the the wearing of gold and and jewelry and hairstyling and dressing up, so where then do we draw the line? And I know that the ladies want to know that, right? Okay, Where do we draw the line? I mean, where in paying attention to my outward appearance does wholesome attention become sinful preoccupation? Well, the answer is this, when it draws attention to yourself. When it draws attention to yourself. Now, friends, it's not saying you shouldn't look nice. It's not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself. You should look nice. You should take care of yourself. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah tells us that all cultures pay some attention to the outward appearances, especially of women. So I want you to write this down. Jeremiah Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 32a. Jeremiah 2, 32a says, Can a maiden forget her uh, ornaments, and can a bride forget her wedding attire? Well, the implied answer is no, no way. Women will always be concerned with their outward appearance. I mean, the Song of Solomon, if you go to that, the Shulamite. She adorned herself with, with, with uh, jewelry and, and, and perfumes and cosmetics. The point is this, don't get so caught up on physical beauty that you forget about spiritual beauty. Okay, Just, just dress modestly. And this is the bottom line with modesty, okay? And with most uh, any moral issues is, is the question, is the question, am I seeking in my lifestyle what God values, what others value, or what I value? And it should be what God values, what God values. Now, I've heard preachers take this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse, 3, verse 3, take this out of context and say, makeup is of the devil. And they say it's a sin for women to wear makeup. Well, I say it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. Now, ladies, before you get upset for what I just said, listen, ladies, at least you have makeup. At least you have makeup. If a guy is unattractive, he's unattractive. And there's no hope unless he drives a nice car and makes a lot of money. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hey, ladies, listen, listen. If a barn needs painting... Paint it, and paint it really good, but then go inside the barn and furnish it with holiness and character. And that's the point that Peter is making. Look at verse 4. Well, let's go back to verse 3 of of 1 Peter 3. Your beauty should not merely come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, elaborate hairstyle, and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. But verse 4 says this, Instead, instead, It should be that of your inner self. The unfading or incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Listen, friends unfading, incorruptible beauty, incorruptible beauty doesn't rely on mascara, um, lip gloss, or even skinny jeans. Unfading, incorruptible beauty makes a woman look and be more beautiful as the years go. You see, you can be beautiful on the outside, and let's be honest, and ugly on the inside. Ugly on the inside. I want you to write this down. Proverbs chapter eleven, verse twenty-two. Proverbs chapter eleven, verse twenty-two. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman without discretion. I'm going to read that again. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman without discretion. In other words, she's precious in the sight of the world, but not precious in the sight of God. Her adornment is temporal and decaying. Write this down, Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Isaiah 3, 16 and 17. And I want you to hear God's reaction to focusing too much on the externals. The Lord says, the women of Zion are are haughty walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. And what was the cause of all this? Haughtiness. Haughtiness. Now, the truth is, most people, let's be honest, most people don't like the bodies, right? Most of us don't like our bodies, and most people want to change the appearance of their bodies. That's why, you know, there's plastic surgery and anti-aging creams. I mean, they have it all now. People, listen now, people with straight hair want wavy hair. People with wavy hair want straight hair. People with blonde hair want dark hair, and and people with uh, dark hair want blonde hair or red hair or purple hair or blue hair, whatever. They want the opposite of what God gave them. It's just human nature. Now, listen. The hidden person of the heart is the real you. I'm going to say that again. The hidden person of the heart is the real you. You see, your reputation is what people perceive you to be. Your character, on the other hand, your character, the real you, the hidden person of the heart, that's who you are when no one's looking. Got it? And what Peter is suggesting and what the Bible is mandating is that we, as Christians, should be really concerned about the hidden person of the heart. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Amen to that. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Amen. 2 Samuel 16.7. 2 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what, come on, heart. 1 Samuel 4, 8, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy, sorry. 1 Timothy 4, 8, 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, if you're safe, say amen. You need to measure your beauty, your beauty, by more than what you see in the mirror. So question. How is your painting coming? How is your painting coming? You know, what's sad is that so many people are living empty, listen now, empty frame lives. And I want to tell you, friends, outward beauty doesn't last. It fades. Someone said this, when you're 20, beauty is on display. When you're over 50, it's only a light switch away. (laughs) It's true. I mean, friends, you know what? what? What if we spend as much time on the hidden person of the heart as the outward person in the mirror? And I just want to say this. Don't spend an eternity getting yourself ready externally, okay? Listen, we need to concentrate more on the beauty of the inner person, cultivate of the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I want to say this. Since God is spirit, right? Since God is spirit, he deals with the spiritual qualities of men and women. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Let your inner beauty shine for Jesus. Let your inner beauty shine for Jesus. That you would live in a way, spend time on the inner heart. Not saying that you can't, you know, that you can't spend time on the outer appearance. We should take care of it. We should do the best that what we have, right? But we should spend more time on the inner beauty. That we spend time in the Word and and, and letting His Word feed us and, and direct us and encourage us and nourish us to the point that people would see Jesus in us. That we would display a gentle and quiet spirit. Let your inner beauty shine for Jesus. And you see, Esther's wisdom and virtue were her greatest beauty. Her beauty on the inside, her beauty on the inside, made her stand out more than on the outside. Now, notice the result of Esther's inner beauty. Notice the result of Esther's inner beauty. Verses fifteen b verse 16. Verse 15 be the verse 16. And Esther won the favor, there's that word favor, favor of everyone who saw her. Not just some, but everyone who saw her. Verse 16, she was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the 7th year of his reign. So the month Tebeth uh, it's probably speaking of the month of January on our calendar. Four years had passed since Dashti had been queen. Now Esther would be accepted or rejected of the king on this night. Well, let's find out. Let's find out. Verse 17. Now the king was attracted, attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown, there it is, royal crown on her head and made her what? Queen instead of Vashti. Now, Esther must have been a special lady, man, right? A special lady. She she stood out, out of hundreds, she stole the king's heart and became his queen. So this begs the question, what happened to the 399 who lost the contest? Well, they were banished into the harem where They stayed as the concubine of the king, and they were never free to marry another man, essentially living as a perpetual widow. Okay? Verse 18. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 18. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. So the king announced this feast to celebrate what? Esther's becoming queen. And he sent gifts and released the provinces from taxes and fighting in war for a time to celebrate his new queen. So think about it. Here you have an unknown Jewish orphan, a child of exiled conquered people, exalted to the highest position that any woman could have in the entire world at that time. If you think about it, this is the original Cinderella story. Now, was this a coincidence? No. Was this luck? Nope. Was this fortune? Nope. There was a power, say power. There was a power working greater than King Xerxes. There was a power, say power, at work providentially. Now listen, Esther wasn't in any position to influence her success. It was God, say God, it was God, listen now, who was quietly orchestrating his own purposes. It was God, say God, God who was orchestrating her journey. God, say God, God had a plan. I love that God had a plan and Esther was a part of his plan. It was all God. Say that. Say it was all God. It was all God moving. It was all God working, friends, in the invisible, invisible to put his star into place so she can shine for him. And, friends, if you're saved in exactly the same way, we have a place. In God's plan. Every single believer is in the process of God's will being worked out on his or her behalf. Now, friends, I, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know where you are in your life right now, but wherever you are, get this. God has a plan and a purpose for it. And perhaps it's a small plan. Perhaps it's a short plan. Perhaps it's a, it's a, a, a big plan or big purpose or, or, or long purpose. Okay, whatever the case, friends, I don't know. God has a reason for it. And what he's doing is God is moving and working, get this, in the invisible to put you into place so you can shine for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed and secure to be in the palm of your hands that, that you have a steady, watchful eye on us, Lord, and that we have a place in your plan. Lord, you're moving and working, orchestrating your own purposes in orchestrating our journey here on earth. So, Lord, might we shine brightly, Lord, for you as your will is being worked out in our lives. We love you. We honor you. We praise you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message. God bless you. Love you. Miss you a whole lot. See you next week. Can you bring the frame up? The what? Oh, it was right here. I had it right here. Yeah. Barely. Oh, no, I had it right here. It's fine. They, they would see it. It doesn't matter.